Coming up, readings beyond the raffle and Theoryland approved conjecture. Deep dive into the spells and scrolls of nerd culture. Absorb Stormlight. Home sympathy. Arnas, Sayadar, and Sayadin. This is Phantology. You may have heard of us. What's up, Bloodlust? This is Steven, your host with Phantology Podcast, along with my lifelong friend, Ryan. And today we're talking about The Waking Fire by Anthony Ryan, the first book of the Draconis Memoria series. And this is a series that's been out for a few years, but and, and it's really always kind of been on my radar, but we never actually picked it up until uh, Phantology Book Club went through and several friends from Discord all kind of read this together. And I... I enjoyed it. I, I feel like maybe I should have read it sooner. To be- yeah, I think uh, it's important when talking about this book, maybe to talk a little bit about the context around our experience with Anthony Ryan. And I think both of you, you and I are on the same, we've read the same amount of books with for Anthony Ryan. We've read the Raven Shadow trilogy with Valen Alsorna, which starts off with Blood Song, which in my opinion is one of my favorite fantasy books ever. Um, and then that continues on with Power Lord, which I thought was yeah, is a is a good book. And then it finishes off with Queen of Fire, which I think is a bit of a disappointment at least in my opinion. I mean, I think it's quite a few people uh, criticized it and it was a disappointing ending to that trilogy. Later, uh, a few years later, both you and I read and reviewed the Balin Sorna duology, which I cannot remember. I I remember one of the names is called The Blacks. One of the books is called The Black Song. First one's The Wolf's Call and then The Black Song. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And I think those Mm -hmm. were good. Probably on the same level as maybe tower lord not quite as yeah, great as fair. blood song and uh I, I i guess i haven't really ventured outside of valen alsorna you know written by anthony ryan out of his works uh until now and yeah like you said i, I i'm pleasantly surprised as well i wish i would have read it for, further or earlier excuse me and you i think it's still read to say, further if you want right <laughs> i'm excited to read further i'm excited to read further in the series and um i'm excited that this uh, our phantology book club got me into this because uh, anthony ryan is obviously you know pretty talented it's not just bailing out sorna one and done nothing else yeah so let's not let's promise not to do spoilers for the the Ravens books those five books but I think we can kind of like talk about them in general and maybe like refer to similarities and differences uh but but no like Mm -hmm. big plot things or anything one big difference there between the two is that the Valen Sorna books are kind of when you get into later books they pick up more point of view characters but it's more focused just on one character you know for the most part There, there are several others um, and it's more of like a coming of age tale, especially through Blood Song. And it's more of your traditional like European 
Westeros, George R. R. Martin style fantasy where, you know, it's fairly gritty European-esque world, right? Um, yeah. Here in the Draconis Memoria, I hope I'm saying that correctly, uh, we get more of I like a so. flintlock. It's not, I mean, maybe flintlock. There are like lots of guns. So honestly, I may be misapplying that, but it's more of kind of this like transitionary period um, industrial, industrial revolution is maybe kind of coming, not quite there yet. Almost like Mistborn Era 2, like minus a few decades is how I would describe it. And so I think it's cool that he's able to really just transition, you know, a pretty big transition into a different type of world and do it really well. Yeah, I, I think that that is, um, that's a good way to describe it. I, I, it gives me Powder Mage vibes as well. I think that's probably a similar time period. Uh, yeah, I think and, that's and, a good, yeah, with, good comparison, with the, yeah. I mean, yeah, with Flintlock and yeah, similar... I didn't think it felt very similar, but like the setting is similar to Mistborn Era too. Mm-hmm. And I agree. It's very gritty. I think that Anthony Ryan does a great job with three pretty strong protagonists in this one. Whereas in Raven's Shadow, I always felt like Valen was the main character and everybody else was a little mm-hmm. bit you know, sometimes they were struggling to get through. I was just so excited by Valen. I just wanted to read him all the right. time. Is either Valen or not Valen. And we mm-hmm. didn't like not, not Valen as much. Yeah. Yeah. And I was interested because when talking to other people in their book club, a lot of other people had different favorite protagonists than I did. I thought it was like, oh yeah, this is clearly my favorite. And it would be pretty much everybody else's. But some people were like, nope, that was my least favorite protagonist. So it was interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the ranking did vary a lot. Um, let's maybe just hold off a little bit longer before we get into actual plot details. So if you're interested in the yeah. book, um, you can keep on listening. So I, th- I wrote down that there were a lot of kind of unique aspects to this book all blended together. There is There was a really surprising amount of naval setting and warfare going into a book honestly going into this book all i knew was there were dragons because duh right um and and there Mm -hmm. were there were dragons or drakes i should say that that should come as no surprise but i would say like what 30 40 percent of the book takes place in more of this like maritime warfare setting and 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 that's cool there aren't very many fantasy books that do this and i always really enjoy them because i like pirates and the best comp I have for these parts of the book were the Live Ship Trader books by Robin Hobb, which I don't think you read, right? Those are they're offshoots of Bits and Fool. Uh, yeah, it, that's correct. They're they're I wouldn't say they're offshoots. I mean, they're kind of like intermediate, they're like ex- books. extended universe books. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and you're right. I have not read those. I think I'll read them again if I do a Fits in the Fool reread, which probably won't happen in the next few years, at least. It's just not really on my radar. I love the Fits in the Fool books, but yeah, I just kind of skipped those. I guess I, 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 I saw them as more secondary, not necessary. And when I was reading through with Fits in the Fool, I was just like, I just want to read Fits. But 
seems like that's something that I definitely missed out on from when you read it. Yeah, I always recommend that people read those because I I really like those. Like honestly, I I maybe like those better than a lot of the other fits and books. I don't know, maybe unpopular opinion there, but for some reason I really like the pirate aspect of things. And um, and this book had a lot of it, so I like this part. Yeah, so I can't say whether or not it I, I guess I got you do get a little sense of live ship traders from Fitz and the Fool from the books. And I guess I could definitely see how it relates and I can't necessarily go into that exactly because I don't want to spoil anything uh, for either series but yeah I I could I could definitely see why why you might feel that way the other thing about uh, these books and most of Anthony Ryan's books well the Anthony Ryan books that we've read is they are super fast-paced and action-packed and it's really just like every chapter something is happening and that's that's fun like the plot is not overly complex to where you need to juggle a bunch of moving pieces and and try to guess at you know this person's motivation and et cetera, et cetera, right? There's there's not a whole lot of like courtly intrigue. It's really fairly straightforward. You know, this group is trying to attack, this group is trying to defend the dragons are doing this, et cetera. Um, but for the whole time it just moves at this breakneck pace and and that makes it exciting. Yeah, I thought that considering you have three main point of views, each of each point of view was very different. I mean, just just high level, uh, like not really any spoilers. You have one one point of view is kind of like this expedition searching for the unknown. Another point of view is like a little bit more spy intrigue. And another point of view, like you said, is like naval battles on a ship. And so three quite different stories, which, I, I you know, they're all they're all interesting. I wasn't too often thinking, oh, I want to get through this, get to the other one. I was very present in whatever chapter I was reading. And they connect a little bit. I'll say, I think one of the weaknesses of at least this first book was there wasn't a ton of connection between our characters. I like to see that maybe a little bit more. I understand that's hard to do. And they're really kind of each set up to explore different parts of the world. And they they do what they're intended to really well. But it's also really fun when the people you care about meet each other and they don't yeah. like they don't know that, you know, the reader. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those moments are fun. And there, there weren't too many of them. Yeah. I, I, I think in that sense, you could say that The Waking Fire is much more an introduction to the world and, you know, setting up for the next yeah. two books. Although I, I don't think that the book felt like a setup book maybe the aspects that you just said where the characters towards the end you can see you can start to piece together how these characters are going to meet up uh, but until i mean i guess a couple of the characters do meet throughout the book but not yeah. all of them and so those final yeah. those final characters you start to see them colliding towards the end of the book so yeah it's it, there, it, there's going to be I don't I don't foresee that being a weakness in later books is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I would think so. I honestly the only the only concern I have with this series is like you said Bloodsong was really good, Tower Lord was not as good, Queen of Fire was in my opinion somewhat of a disaster. So I really hope that we don't get the same trajectory and uh and he's able to, you know, continue the strong performance of the first book in uh in this series i think one other minor critique that i had was i really enjoyed the 
breakneck pacing and the action-packed nature of the book. However, I think it came at the expense of developing some of the factions and plots and things like that a little bit to the point where like we were still, it wasn't just me. I think it was most of the book club was, you know, fairly well into book, maybe like 30% to halfway through the book. And there were still some questions on like, wait, which, which faction is this group attached to? How does this connect to this? And these are like fairly basic building blocks of the story we felt, but, and, and the answers made like were maybe explained in there, but it wasn't explained enough or wasn't explicit enough to the point where it felt natural in developing what was going on. So I, yeah, th- that, that was kind of annoying is, but just a minor thing. And I think by the time you get further into it, it's like, okay, at this point you get it. Yeah. I, I felt the same way. And in fact, I was one of the people asking, wait, so how are all of these factions related and who exactly mm-hmm. are they? And I think it's confusing because you're not only referring to different like empires or kingdoms, but you're also referring to companies within them or the Navy they control. And yeah, it, it was, it took um, like some, you know, asking and like reviewing it with other people to start to piece together who refers to what and once I got it, I think that yeah. it was it was pretty easy to to remember. I think there's a really easy, simple solution that would have helped us. If they just moved the glossary, the dramatis personae, however you say that, if they move that to the beginning of the book, then I would feel safer going into it and looking at it and referring to it. Because I figure, oh, it's at the beginning of the book. Like, there's probably not going to be spoilers. But the fact that it's at the end of the book makes me think, okay, this may be updated with information that I don't know going into the book. So maybe I don't want to, I don't want to look at it yet, which I mean, I guess traditionally like the glossary is at the back, but I don't, I feel like more and more books just put, put it at the front to cue in the reader that it's fine to read. And, and this wasn't the case. So I was a little freaked out to look at. But there, there aren't any spoilers in it, are there? No, there's not. That's why I'm saying they easily could have put it at the front, which meant I would have felt safe looking at it and then wouldn't have been as Mm -hmm. confused. Yeah. But I mean, you could look at it. If you're considering reading it, you can reference it as you're reading the book. Yeah. Yeah, you can. So one last thing that I want to say about reading this book is is that I'm more optimistic about other work by Anthony Ryan outside of Valen Alsorna. So not only am I excited to continue reading this trilogy, but I'm also excited to uh, read his new trilogy, which two books are released, The Pariah and The Martyr, I believe. And I've heard decent things about those. So I think that Anthony Ryan was pretty popular with Bloodsong and then lost a lot of his steam and I think he's now more of like a niche author that people are familiar with, but don't necessarily read too much of his work. Yeah, we always speculated that for whatever reason, like the publisher pressed him into writing the rest of the Vale and Alessandra books too quickly or something, because I think the first one was self-published. And it, it does it is a good sign that he's starting up a new trilogy uh, in, in a strong, you know, with a strong footing. And yeah, I've heard good things about those other two books that you mentioned. And and I think those are also kind of a different setting as well, like within a fantasy setting. Don't remember what they are exactly. So I'm excited to see what he does there. Yeah. His third world 
that uh, in a fantasy setting that he's yeah. done and, and he he, and he writes really out, fast too yeah i was gonna say he cranks out books maybe like once a year or so yeah. and i mean the quality is pretty good too yeah okay one more thing in the non-spoiler part um i know a big draw for you i'm assuming a big draw for you in reading this book was the dragons on the cover and in the title because you like dragons so what did you think of these this dragon experience well so i knew from the blurb that uh the dragons or drakes in this book they're considered more of a resource kind of like harvesting them kind of like how how we harvest those uh like blue blood or horseshoe crabs or for their blood um people harvest dragons in this book and so i I, I love dragons, but I love them more in the sense of Aragon dragons with, you know, dragon riders mm-hmm. and magic. And th- that's my favorite type of dragon. So if somebody tells me that there's a good book with dragon riders in them, I will definitely check it out. And I knew this wasn't that type of book. And so that's part of the reason why I wasn't like super interested in reading it. Cause I'm like, dragons are so cool. And then I was like, oh wait they just kind of harvest their blood that's that's a little depressing (laughs) like is this going to be too sad for me to read and I do think that there are some maybe a little a little depressing parts that are a little bit more depressing just as you recognize like so many other resources of humankind they we exploit it we exploit dragons and it's not pretty yeah true yeah I I kind of expected you to say that because I I doubted you um, were as keyed in to the the harvesting of the dragons. That- yeah. Uh, you did hit on one other thing that we could talk about in the non-spoiler part, which is the magic system. So they use the blood okay. of the dragons. There are red, blue, and green, and black uh, dragons, and each have different magical powers. And uh, I mean, it was fine. I, I don't think it was very complex. It was just like, you get the blood. There are some people who can use the magic, some people who can't. At this point, it's, well, I mean, we're told it's like random and uh, we'll see about that. And and then each one just like grants a different ability. So there's really nothing too special to the magic, but there were like within, you know, the green just granted strength and, um, and additional physical capacity. The blue magic was kind of cool because you can connect to people and like communicate over long distances. The red was just like ignition fire and the black is mind control. So it's really just kind of an agglomeration of different cool things you can do with magic, but all through the lens of like, oh, it's magic because dragon blood. Yeah, one one thing that they talked a little bit about was that different uh, blood blessed, as they're called, have affinities for different... Uh, types of dragon blood so some of them Mm. are you know more powerful with black or blue and i feel like that's an interesting concept that wasn't explored or explored much in at least in book one because it was like you know whenever you meet a a blood blessed they're just kind of using it and you're not like oh he doesn't seem like he knows how to use that or she's super good with that right I, i think that might have been added a little bit more or maybe certain blood blessed can only use certain types of drake blood i think the coolest part of the magic and the most developed part was the way that they connect the magic into their economy and into just like the day-to-day life there are a lot of things that 
are designed specifically to make use of dragon power, bloodlust, magical powers, um, a lot of engines, especially. And, uh, and, and, you know, that's nice. I like it when it all kind of like ties together, like there's magic on the world. Therefore, the world has developed differently. And it's also uh, really similar to Dune. And I think Anthony Ryan said Dune kind of inspired him and that there's like these different factions vying for this magical resource on this subcontinent new world type thing. And, and the resources is, is magical through the dragons, right? So, so that was fun, especially the Dune movie coming out last year, last year, two years ago. Anyway, so it, it's kind of relevant, I guess. Yeah, I, I so I read before or as I was reading about the Dune and, you know, as I, I don't think I don't think that I would have caught it if I hadn't know, have known that he was inspired by Dune or influenced. And he actually says that he was influenced by Dune, but he didn't really realize it until he was like part of the way writing or had written. Mm. So I definitely see it now. I'm like, yeah, there's a. Um, you know, spice comes from worms, blood comes from drakes. In the New World places called uh, Aradzia. Yeah, Aradzia, Aradzia, something like that. Um, yeah, and in Dunas, um, obviously, Arrakis is, yeah. Yeah. And there's lots of politics too between different companies or factions within the government, neighboring governments. All right. I feel like that's enough teasing. With the yeah, non-spoiler. Let's get into it. Yeah. Okay. So if you haven't read yet, we're going to now talk about full spoilers. So um, what were what, what were some of your favorite parts? What Give me something to start the conversation with. Well, I really liked Clay a lot. Um, I mean, he's kind of like your typical protagonist that you relate to. And that was the one who, that was the person who was like, oh, Clay's going to be everybody's favorites. But then other uh-huh. people were like, uh, Clay was my least favorite and I was like okay um that's interesting I think it's good that people have different there's no like there's no clear favorite character it's like different people can relate to a different protagonist as they're reading so I think that's well done by an author when that happens I think my favorite was was Lizanne and Clay second okay I would have liked Hyle more more except that he just disappears at the end yeah. of the book and like doesn't really do anything noteworthy <laughs> yeah he just they, they like limp into port it, it was kind of cool to see like somebody who doesn't exactly know what's going on towards the end they're like the dragons are acting like, like all crazy and like we're not really sure what's going on and they like they like show up at this port and it's just like empty and you're like they're like what what happened so it was kind of cool to see like an outsider's perspective on that outside of all of the warfare. Um, but I also agree more was my, uh, was, was the least, the, the protagonist that I enjoyed the least, not to say that I did not enjoy him because I did. I thought there were some interesting, interesting parts of his story, but he is also totally separate from Lizanne and Clay until the very ending when he finally runs into clay right so that, that's and Hylemore had Hylemore had some pretty awesome parts like that naval bot battle that was about 50 yeah. percent of the way through that was epic but unfortunately that was like his climax and from then on it was really just like falling action and he didn't do very yeah they're, they're like in this state-of-the-art ship and then the oh man i, I totally forget the name of their 
their government, but they get routed in that naval battle. They're like, oh yeah, we're gonna go beat them, and then and then uh, they get syndicate. routed, and they're pretty much nice. yeah, the syndicate, and then they're they're pretty much just like trying to recover and flee for the rest of the book. And I guess we can assume that like the rest of the syndicate ships got destroyed or I don't know. I, I would have liked to know how that happened, uh, like what, what the outcome was for everyone else. But I guess, I mean, I'm sure we'll find out later on. Yeah, it was it was such a key, you know, a big battle that was all keyed up. And then we don't really get the outcome other than the ship of our heroes mm-hmm. is heroic for a while, then has to run off. And then, you know, then the Drakes start killing everyone in the water. So I, I don't know. I guess we can assume the Corventines over there we're we're basically all taken out at this point yeah i think that's interesting i think the uh the corventines will will play into it a lot later i mean i suppose it's possible they they turn their fleet around well no it's not because we saw the oh no, wait, okay, sorry we, we i was saw... sorry i was confusing for a second the corventines with the pirate uh the pirate nation i guess they're not really a nation they're just the one like that the, pirate, um, the pirates Zin- that were over in uh, Tortuga, yeah, Zanita O'Connor and her right. her family. Yeah, I assume those guys are still around. They they seem like they they seem like a um, a plot element that is just going to continually kind of be there, and they'll take a lot of beating, but they'll always still have something remaining. Yeah. So, I mean, assuming I, I think they're so back to Corvan Cor. Corventine is it Corvantis what's the name of their I think Corvus Corvus so yeah I mean their navy was definitely destroyed that went to Carvenport but you assume if they are at war I mean they're not going to send all their ships to one port maybe they did yeah they they probably didn't otherwise they're going to be rendered ineffectual for the rest of the story so yeah hopefully they didn't (laughs) Yeah, I, yeah. So I, I'm sure they have more ships out there. But I guess we have to assume that they took out most of the syndicate ships. Uh, although the syndicate has more ships over in their continent. Oh gosh, what's the name? Starts with an M. It's like it's like Mandalore, but it's not. Oh, Mandapore. Man, man, Manador, something like that. Oh, Ma- Mandadorians. Yeah, oh, yeah, like Mandanore from you know, right from Star Wars, but it's not. Oh yeah, Mandalore. Okay. Mandalore, geez. Okay. Yeah, way too similar. Anyway, whatever that, whatever it is in the Waking Fire. <laughs> so they're, they they have more. There's like more, there's more big business corporations, whatever, over there than just the ones we've seen so far. So I'm assuming that we'll pull in those guys for the rest of the story. Mm-hmm. So I think we've established how more, how more was not our favorite character, but he has potential. He's like a young officer who shows that he's competent and when captain Trumaine gets mm-hmm. incapacitated, he takes over. And I think it was kind of cool seeing him take control and, you know, do the best he can in a crappy situation. I thought steel fine was super cool. Who's this? He's just this BA Islander who, you know, master at arms. He's just impossible, impossible to take down. Yeah. Right. I guess yeah. I, now that I think about it, we don't really know much about steel fine do we there's a lot of minor characters that we don't know very much about mm-hmm. I, f- I feel like and especially in um Hylamore's plot line there were just a lot of different people on the ship 
and the names got a little interchangeable. Steel Fine yeah. was probably one of the more memorable. One of the the enzymes, I think Talmont was yeah, the way, like Talmont that. was the enzyme. Tremaine was the captain who was Toddleborn was the blood blessed. Yeah, that guy, right, the guy that died. Yeah, so a lot of names that were similar on the ship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. But so let's go back. Is, let's go back to Clay. Wait, well, I, I want to ask one question. Okay. Do you think that um Heilmore and Zanita O'Connor are in the beginning stages of a romance? Yeah, I think definitely that that seems likely. Okay. All right. Yeah, let's so let's go to Clay, who is uh who is my favorite character of the book. All um, right. So uh so what do you think of his ill-fated? romance <laughs> with silver pen i was totally blindsided by it i mean I, it like makes sense that you know silver pen you have no idea about her past and so in the beginning of the book the the prologue you see that there's like this dragon being harvested and then some some girl who's your child who's a blood blessed who goes missing after it or I guess you don't know that they're blood blessed, but you assume. And I thought that that was Clay because Clay was an unregistered blood blessed. But I was like, I don't even know why it didn't cross my mind that maybe Silverpin was a blood blessed and hiding. Well, Clay, too, we get his viewpoint of like his mother dying and and his mother obviously did not jump into the that. So okay. I, I think when you, once you got that, it, it couldn't have been Clay. But I also did not. I didn't put it together that it was that it was Silverpin until they were telling us, and I didn't realize that Silverpin was evil until like a chapter or two before the reveal. I I started to think like, okay, wait a second, this seems like once, maybe it's not Scriberson. Yeah, once her and Scribes went up the um the lift together, and the book was trying so hard to make you think that Scribes was bad, I was like, wait a second, what if you know it'd be a nice twist if it wasn't. Mm-hmm. So I, I made a comment in our in our book club discussion on how I thought that Silverpin and Clay's romance was like it happened very quickly, almost out of nowhere. Like there wasn't a whole lot leading up to it that I that I was I wasn't like super mm-hmm. satisfied with it. But knowing how it ends, it makes total sense how Silverpin was, you know, she couldn't influence clay in the same way that she could influence other people and so she i mean she did say she fell for clay in in whatever way that means for her but she also had an interest in manipulating him at in some way and a relationship worked in just that way so i guess it makes sense Mm -hmm. in my mind that it seemed a little bit forced or there wasn't quite as much of a lead up to it between no like you know, romantic, uh, subtle, subtly romantic interactions to them before that. Yeah, yeah, it does make sense. And it also didn't really make sense for me until it did make sense. So mm-hmm. I, I guess that was fine by the end. It, before we realized that she was evil, like that there were some similarities, especially with um, with the Brian McClellan books, with the Powder Mage books between um, Tamas and Capel, who, you know, she's also kind of like, this awesome like i don't know i don't want to call them a sidekick but you know neither one are the main point of views um but they both Mm -hmm. have cool abilities and they're both mute and they're both interesting women love interests 
they're a little uh, they're like uh foreign as well right yeah in the sense that right. they come from a different culture that is maybe not alien but definitely not familiar for right the main character so there's that connection what do you think at the very end with the whole you know the whole thing with the white and like what do we expect where's this going uh, for me it was okay but we got rid of so many possible interesting interesting characters both on the good side and the bad side like Silverpin is gone Bondersil Bendersil Bondersil whatever Madam Bondersil Bond- is Bondersil. gone um Drystone sacrificed herself like all we have left is is the white dragon itself yeah uh, well yeah and you know there's like lots of you know young white dragons or drakes so but you're right a lot of like the antagonists who were we were familiar with are are dead and mm-hmm. so it's it's hard to like like the white drake sounds bad but then at the same time it's hard to have like an antagonist that can't necessarily like communicate or i mean it it doesn't seem super um human i guess right um and and so it'll be interesting to see exactly what's going to happen if that's if it's gonna be like manipulating people like mind controlling people we do know that silver pin the white drake needed silver pin for some reason like Mm -hmm. i don't know we or we don't know exactly why but it, it seemed like it i think it said that the drake wasn't really complete without silver pin Right? Am I remembering that correctly? Something like that. And once once she died, didn't it lose control of all the other dragons? Yeah, and and I mean that's one th- one point I brought up. Um, it's maybe like I don't know if it needed Silverpin for that, or if it was like the trauma of losing Silverpin caused it to like temporarily lose control of the Drakes, or I don't. I I'm not. Ex- I don't know exactly. But I, I think maybe the white Drake needs to bond somebody like a human in order to like fully realize its power. Mm. And so that would be interesting to see if it's going to bond somebody that maybe we know somebody unexpected or somebody new who will become a new antagonist. I did think it was interesting that uh, Ethelene Drystone sacrificed herself because now her black Drake or the black drake that she flew on doesn't have a rider i wonder if clay is gonna somehow assume that although we know that you need to drink like a heart blood the heart blood from a drake in order to like to bond another drake i think and and clay hasn't done that so i mean i i can definitely i definitely agree with you that a lot of the a lot of the antagonists um, who we became familiar with throughout the book died. The the one commander of the Corventine army, I forget exactly what his name was, but mm-hmm. he was kind of like brutal. We didn't really like get to know him much other than by his reputation, but we didn't see him die, right? Or did people claim they saw him die? We heard that he died, but we did not see that. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, that's 
that could be a potential antagonist in the future. Maybe not quite as satisfying. Did you catch that uh, when Clay was leaving and he saw the dragons hatching, there weren't any black ones? There were all the other colors, but no black ones. Oh, I so I heard, I, I, I remember they said red and white. I didn't, I didn't. Oh, maybe, maybe okay, maybe catch. it was just red and white. But you're right. I did. I did catch that there were no black dragons. So it there seemed no, like there were no blacks, and the black dragons never came and attacked Carbonport either. So I feel right. like the white dragon can't control the black ones, and that that could be a future conflict between the two. Yeah, and I mean it's also interesting because I think like a lot of the black drakes have been hunted as well. I, I mean, I guess all drakes have been hunted a lot. So maybe I mean we we definitely got the sense they were more rare. Yeah. They they do seem like and they didn't fight any black drakes other than yeah, they didn't fight any black drakes as they were going on their search for the white drake. I don't think they encountered any. They encountered green drakes, they encountered red drakes. They didn't encounter blue because those seem like they're more in the ocean. Wasn't there one time where there was a black drake that was flying? Uh there was one I time guess he... on the river. He pro- I think he just sees, yeah, he just sees uh, Lutharon. Lutheron. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. So I feel like there's that, something more with the black drakes going on. That's definitely something that will hopefully be explored in other books. I agree. It's, it's going to be an interesting direction to go in. Okay. One more thing then before we do that. Without doing spoilers, did you, did you notice that the ending of this book, like there were a lot of similarities with Blood Song? Um, now I'm trying to remember how Blood Song ended. But no, so I, I obviously didn't notice it. Okay. I feel like there are, which is okay. okay. But if I had if I had put the, you know, if I had like recently read the book, I'd be like, oh, that's really similar. Blood Song does kind of get into more of like a mythical element as the antagonist. And that was probably okay. one of my least favorite parts of the okay. series. Because I yeah. felt like the antagonist became like just this nebulous thing that we didn't understand very much and ultimately was was kind of not satisfying. And so this is somewhat worrisome to me that it seems like this book is going the same way, like it's leaning really hard into more of the mythical, antagonistical, and antagonistical, and yeah. uh, you, you know, op- oppositional force mm-hmm. that the rules are kind of nebulous around and hopefully will be defined more, but I'm, I'm concerned about that. I didn't, I didn't enjoy that very much in the Ravens books. All right. I think that's a, that's a fair assessment and something to watch out for in future books. Cause I really liked the more like grounded conflicts between carbon port and, um, oh gosh, I can't remember the other, um, colony, but between carbon port and the Corventines, right? Like, especially with, uh, in Lausanne's parts, those conflicts are, were really interesting to me. Um, and Clay's part was interesting in the mystery of it all. And then when it became this like weird magical thing, I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't know why this is. So do you think you would have continued to be, or how would you have felt about it if Silverpin had survived and, and Silverpin was more, you know, like very much the villain alongside the white Drake? Would you be as worried? Um, I would probably like that more. Okay. So what, the white drake now is just this, we don't, we don't know very much yeah. about it, but it's like the only remaining problem. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's a big problem, but it's a problem we don't understand at all. 
yeah it's it's kind of like it it more moves the pieces right and and there's it's it's not like evil personified in a villain who is you know easy to read and like interesting mm-hmm. i would love to get more into the backstory of what happened with the spoiled before they you know that whole like advanced civilization it'd be cool yeah. if there was some group of them that had survived still and had some important information to give to us and maybe supply us with some cool technology at, I don't know, maybe down the future. Maybe that's what we're getting into with, uh, you know, Clay and Hylemore's mission into the, the you know, South Pole or wherever they'll end up going to uh-huh. retrieve, get to some tower or artifact or whatever that is, which <laughs> gave me major vibes from uh, Midnight Tides, which we just reviewed. <laughs> oh, yeah. See, uh, <laughs> it's funny that you, there's like a lot of similarities and you're like, did you get this? I'm like, no, I didn't. But then you bring it up and I'm like, yeah, I could see that. Maybe if I had read Midnight Tides more recently. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> so I, I thought that, I, I think I liked the way that uh, it changed. I was expecting the ending um, or with with Clay and his uncle Braddon. I was almost expecting it to be like more of a Moby Dick thing with, you know, his uncle Brad and being like the captain mm. of the ship. Who's just like obsessed yeah. with, with chasing yeah. after this beast at the expense of all else. Um, so I guess I was, I don't know. I think, I think that might've been kind of cool, but then at the end it, he, you find out that it was silver pins influence all along. So he's like, yeah, I think we should kill the Drake. And he's like expecting this huge blowback from his uncle. And then his uncle's like, okay, you got to do what you got to do. Or, you know, which is, I mm-hmm. guess, a bit anticlimactic from what I was expecting. But I can't say I was like totally disappointed with it. Yeah, it was definitely the trip there was subverted. It seemed like it was going to be the Moby Dick. He was seemed like Braddon was definitely going to die because he overstretched himself in his mm-hmm. zealous pursuit of of the white, but you know the white, right? The white whale, the white dragon. Yeah, it all the white drake. It all it was all going yeah. that way until it wasn't. And I will say that um, I was I was pleasantly I was pleasantly surprised that Scriberson wasn't the villain. You know, I, I he like he was set up to be. That was another trope that was uh subverted. You're mm-hmm. thinking like, is he an agent of Corvantis? Like, is he secretly a blood blast? You know, there's a lot of like suspicion I think placed on him. I guess when the book starts like overtly mentioning like, hey, maybe this guy's kind of suspicious. Like Lizanne was telling Clay in their blue trances. I think then yeah. I should have been like. He's probably not suspicious then if they're trying right, to right. hint so <laughs> hint so much that he is. So it was nice that like he wasn't he wasn't like a Corventine agent, although I still think like his backstory is a little strange. It's like he, he's a scholar, but he's like willing to, you know, risk I don't know. He's he's gone through so much with like the headhunters that captured or tried to capture no no the headhunters robbed them right and left them right and then he, and then he was continues. the only one that survived yeah 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 it seemed yeah. a little too i agree i guess yeah okay let's transition to lizanne because i liked her point of view the best and and we spent a lot of time on the other ones we're actually a little low on time 
So Lizanne, yeah. yeah, why did I like her the most? I think I I really connected with her character with the internal conflict of, you know, she's been trained to be this agent of the the corporate world here and follow Madame Bondersill's orders to the T. And then it turns out that she has some morals and she's not going to kill innocents. And, um, you know, she, she's going to work to save everyone else, right? And so I, I thought that was cool that that conflict developed really nicely down to when she made that decision of like, no, I'm, I'm going to put my foot on the ground here and do what's right. Um, I thought it was kind of lame that Bondersill immediately died and just made that, it, it made the decision it, it just took away all the tension from that choice because she obviously made the correct decision and there will be no further issues there. Right. Um, she, she betrayed yeah. the powerful woman that, you know, the powerful group basically that she mm-hmm. was supposed to be following and then immediately they were eliminated. So, okay. You know, good job. You did the right thing. <laughs> yeah. So I, I did like Lizanne. I think there were a few parts of her story that I was a little disappointed with outside of just Madame Bondersill dying. I think that I expected her her like mission to last quite a bit longer. I expected her to be in like Corvantis, um, or it was it was like this is like Manderport or I don't know, something. It was Moresdale or whatever oh. that yeah, the other colony was, whatever it's called. Yeah. Yeah. So I expected her mission over there to last a little bit longer it seemed like it ended very like quickly the things moved i guess more quickly there than i expected and the other thing that i don't i don't know why i didn't like it that much but she just like became the perfect leader of the resistance or not the resistance but um like of the city as they were under siege she happened really fast she yeah it was like perfect and like she didn't really make any mistakes she just like always knew all the answers and they're like referring to her as like madam blood i don't know it just it's that also seemed a little like like there should have I been just, more people who were like wait a second you know Bondersill was the one calling the shots here i guess she was the most accomplished blood bless remaining and they really just were in a habit of deferring to Bondersill, so she stepped right up. I, I don't know it made it out to seem like there were no other capable people remaining in the city. Yeah, and things like you know fell into her lap, and she was just able to do so well with everything that. I mean, obviously the circumstances were pretty bad, so it wasn't it wasn't perfect. It was, I guess, it just wasn't super believable for me that this person who was trained as a spy would instantly become the best like leader of this city and like maybe tactician so i don't know it wasn't it wasn't super believable but then i like try and think like and there are other circumstances where i just like love it when that happens and i'm like oh yeah i could totally see this happening so i i maybe i just kind of need to get over it a little bit i don't know did you did you notice anything like that with her story one of our friends on Discord compared her plotline towards the end to the part in before they were hanged with Degasca, right? With Galacta's storyline there, oh. which a lot of similar types of things were happening, like right, like holding a city against bad odds. Did uh-huh. you? Do I mean? I think it's it's pretty apparent what the similarities there are. But I think the way that Abercrombie does it 
is you would probably you probably liked it more because um, it just maybe happened a little more naturally. There were a little more uh, internal political conflicts as that was slowly developing. But this happened really fast, and I think I think maybe a lot of the criticism you have can just be chalked up to the pace at which things are happening. Like we could have spent a mm-hmm. whole book in just this part, but it was really only like the last forty percent of one third of the point of view characters yeah and yeah yeah exactly and there's a lot going on i mean he totally cut out anthony ryan totally cut out heilmore for this part because i think there was just so much going on between clay Mm -hmm. and his expedition to find the white drake and lizanne and the defense of this out or this city so yeah there was quite a bit going on that i loved her parts in the trenches where they were using the machine gun and the, oh yeah, I don't know, RPG gun or whatever the heck the thumper thing was. And they were just decimating the yeah. entire army. Like that part was really brutal and visceral, but also super awesome. Yeah, they're just like, they have all these things. And then with the, with the dragons flying over and they're like shining lights on the reds and yeah. shooting them down, kind of like, you know, these bombers flying over the city and you have like anti-air guns posted throughout just like attacking them yeah there's definitely some plot criticisms it happens super fast doesn't it doesn't always seem super believable but at the same time it's just like so awesome to me the whole time and so exciting that i was just kind of there for it yeah yeah so like I, i think we're nitpicking quite a bit or at least i am but like my nitpicking doesn't necessarily reflect you know how I feel about uh, yeah. I, I did really yeah, enjoy the fine. book and yeah it just I'm makes excited. an interesting discussion mm-hmm. yeah yeah I think the other thing with Lizanne was like she had the most interesting minor characters I really like Tequila or Tequila whatever how you're saying it and um and Arborist both who she picked up and I think Bondersil was a super interesting antagonist mm-hmm. and someone that you didn't necessarily suspect like that twist was also I think fairly well done it was, you know, it was definitely foreshadowed with her obsession for the white and and how yeah. erratic she was becoming. But at the same time, when the twist actually happened, it, it felt earned. So I, I think I enjoyed her relationships. I did enjoy a lot of Clay's relationships as well, especially with his uncle. I thought that that went from a really antagonistic relationship to one of kind of mutual respect, which I thought was cool. Throughout yeah, the course of I the journey. agree. Yeah, I agree. Um. It'll be interesting to see what happens with Clay's cousin. Um, I, I can't remember her name, but she ended up going on the trip. Oh, right. And yeah, she, she seemed, hasn't really done anything of import. She yeah. Seemed, yeah, pretty minor of a yeah. character. Um, I'm excited for the future, especially at the prospect of maybe Clay becomes a dragon rider or there are maybe other people will. Like the, the Black Drakes will have to form some sort of uh, alliance with humanity or with the at least the non-spoiled mm. humans in order to overcome the white drakes so i think that's that's what i'm looking forward to most um in the future oh we talked about another book this is similar to too as well with clay the beginning of his story is really similar to the first night angel book the way of shadows which we're rereading oh, yeah. right now in preparation mm-hmm. for the new Night Angel book that Brent uh, Weeks is publishing later this year. So just, you know, the way that he starts in the slums with his friends and kind of, um, you know, comes into 
means through some magical power, right? Uh, is pretty similar. And then uh, Joya being alive as well seems to hint at some future yeah. romance, which is pretty similar to what's going on in the Night mm -hmm. Angel books. <laughs> so yeah, that's, like... that's why I say it. it feels like this book is a, is just like a uh, an agglomeration of a bunch of other books that I enjoy. And so uh, it was fun to pick up on all these, like, oh, this plot, I've seen this plot thread before. I've seen this plot thread before, but the way that it was mm -hmm. woven together made for a good story. Yeah, or like, oh, this is a perfect combination of Powder Mage, Way of Shadows, before they are hanged <laughs> yeah so many different things you're like just combine some grimdark and you know coming of age and you know x y and z and you got this book i mean i think if we wanted to really dive into it a lot of books are going to be like yeah. that right like you know everyone kind of picks up on the different archetypes and builds stories off of those things mm -hmm, exactly. for whatever reason they were just more fun to identify throughout this one mm-hmm Cool. Any, I, I, um, any final words or theories? Yeah. I was just going to say, I, um, yeah. The, so there's a lot of, there are definitely like to Kayla. I have no idea where she's, what what's going to happen with her. And, you know, is Hylemore going to become captain? Because we know that Captain Tremaine isn't actually dead. And he seems like he might be getting better. What's going to happen there? I think that it was, it was a pretty entertaining i'm i'm glad to see that as i've said before i'm glad to see anthony ryan writing in other worlds and it seems to be you know good quality i think if you have read or haven't read any of him it's definitely worth checking out i think the world we we reference a lot of other things but it felt pretty unique to me you know it's a new take on dragons with them being a resource you know traditionally they're yeah they're a resource more because of their like prowess you know in in combat or whatever but this is more like you know they're they're a resource like any other beast in the world even though they aren't like any other beast yeah good point that does really make it unique okay well i think uh throughout the rest of the year we'll be reading the next two we do have a long and ambitious list of books we want to read because there's a lot of new books coming out later in the year so we'll see how that goes but if you enjoyed our conversation about the series and you like other fantasy books then hop on our discord the, the link to join will be in the episode description and uh and let us know what we should read or just join the conversation join our next book club whatever it is we'd love to have you good to be here steven talk to you later see you ryan bye